Some of you are familiar with the idea of stewardship. Stewardship is uh, something we often talk about at this time of year. We're not going to talk about it today, but if you're not familiar with stewardship, stewardship is the idea that God made everything, that, that God made us, God made uh, uh, the, the planet, God made the stars and the galaxies, God made everything there is, and it really be- belongs to him because of that. And as a result, the things that, that we think of as ours, the the you know, the, the money we have, the possessions we have, those things are things that, that are God's, but we are, um, managing them. That, that, that's, that's the big idea, that we're managing the things that God has, so we are stewards of the things of God. And, um, typically when, when people like me talk about stewardship, it makes people uncomfortable, and, uh, because we're not meeting, um, in person, we're not meeting here, um, I, I don't have one of the one of the things that makes it easier to do a, a stewardship message, which is that it's awkward to get up and walk out. But we're meeting online, and of course, people can can uh, close their their tab or whatever they want to do. So um, uh, it's it's a lot easier. So I decided I wasn't going to talk about that kind of stewardship today because there's a different kind that that um, might be interesting to you uh, to to think about. And um, if if you're a if you're a Christian, if you're somebody who follows Jesus, then it's something we're supposed to do. Uh, and if you're not a Christian, you know, it may give you something to think about. You know, should I do that? You know, I, I don't know what your worldview is, and certainly I'm in no position to to give you instructions. But if you're not a, a Jesus follower, if you're not sure what you believe about Jesus, you might want to think about this particular idea that we're going to talk about today, because you might say, well, should I do that? You know, or, or shouldn't I do that? Is that something that my worldview encourages me to do? So we're going to be talking talking about this different type of stewardship today. Um, and uh, we have been uh, talking about the idea of faith, and we're going to see the, the intersection between this kind of stewardship and faith. Faith, um, if you're not familiar with faith, it's the idea that, that we all have hopes. We have hopes that maybe are short-term. You know, I, I want to have a different kind of relationship with somebody, or I'm hoping for a new job. We, we, have, we have hopes, and some of them are short-term, but some of them are great hopes, like Christians believe ultimately that, that Jesus will return. So our hope is that Jesus will return and, and bring his, his kingdom uh, fully when he comes. So, so the idea of faith is the thing that connects our current circumstances, whatever, whatever our current circumstances are with that hope, whether it's near or far. So we've been talking about that. And we're going to see that there's an intersection between the idea of faith and this type of stewardship we're going to talk about today. So, so our, our, um, uh, talk is going to be uh, coming to us as as the last several have from uh, Luke's biography of Jesus. There's four biographies of Jesus in the New Testament: uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And we're going to be looking at the third of those, uh, the one by Luke. And so we're looking at uh, chapter 19 of Luke's biography. And we begin with verse one. It says Jesus was entering Jericho and was passing through town. So Jericho is is a town um, that is not Jesus's final destination. He's going to Jerusalem, and in fact, it is his final destination because he will be crucified there. But that hasn't happened yet. That's in a couple of chapters. Right now, he's just on his path. He's been coming. He's been traveling to Jerusalem from Galilee. Galilee is where he's performed most of his ministry, and that's in the north. And so he's been coming south, and he's been traveling um, along in the low country that is near the Dead Sea and the River Jordan. So he's been traveling that way, and now he's headed up into the hill country. So he's passing through Jericho on his way up to uh, to Jerusalem. 
And um, as he's been going, uh, the, the, he, he's, he's close enough now. He's about 12 miles from uh, Jerusalem, and the crowds are starting to get a little bit thicker. And the reason for that is that people are curious about Jesus. He attracted crowds when he was uh, still in the north in, in Galilee, but... Um, and, and probably some of those some of those crowds are accompanying him on this trip, but uh, we don't we don't know about that. But we do know the crowds are getting thicker, and some of them are probably local people because because rumors travel faster than people do, and uh, people wonder who who Jesus is. Uh, they, they would have heard you know over the past couple of years as he as he uh, went about Galilee and, and performed his his ministry there, they would have wanted to know. Uh, you know, who is this guy I keep hearing about up in Galilee? He's, he seems to be some kind of a wonder worker. He, um, he's performing miracles. He's healing people. Um, I've heard that he's a, he's a great teacher and he's helping people understand God in a whole new way that, that has never been made clear to us before. And, uh, some people are thinking maybe he is the Messiah. Maybe he is the, the king that God promised to send us who would, who would kick the Romans out of our country and rule in the, in the throne of, of, our, our ancestor David. So, so they're thinking, you know, who is this Jesus? Is he, is he all I've heard about? And we read that one of them is, uh, one of the people who's curious is a man there named Zacchaeus. So verse two, a man there, uh, named Zacchaeus, a ruler among tax collectors, was rich. Now we have to, we have to imagine we haven't heard this because a lot of us heard this when we were little kids and we learned the song and we know how it goes and we heard about, uh, the wee little man, uh, Zacchaeus and a, and a, and a wee little man was he. So we have to pretend for a minute that we, we've never heard this before because Luke is telling us things. He's telling us that Zacchaeus has three strikes against him. First of all, he's a tax collector. And uh, that would have made him despised in his culture. And not just because people don't like paying taxes. They would have despised tax collectors in that culture because of who they collected taxes for. Because remember, they're, they're a occupied country that the Roman Empire invaded their country about a century earlier and now has, has been um, milking it for the past century, taking money out. And that's what these taxes are. They're money going out of the local economy, going off to Rome to be spent on other things. So they don't like that. And they, they don't like the fact that it's a local person who's doing it. So of course they're not going to like the tax collectors. They also don't like them because the way the system was worked up, worked out, um, the, the, the way the system was set up, the tax collectors could could rip you off. That the Rome looked the other way because all Rome cared about it is that it got its money, and it didn't care if if the uh, tax collectors took a little bit more than they were supposed to have. So that was fine with Rome. So people hated them because they were supporting this occupying country, but also because they were swindlers. So people didn't like tax collectors already, and this guy is a ruler of tax collectors, and we we don't know what a ruler among tax collectors is. It could mean that he. He gave the seminars to other tax collectors and said, here's how you can squeeze even more out of, you know, the, the, the district that you're a tax collector for. Maybe he was giving advice. Maybe he knew all the tricks. And, and that's what made him a ruler. Maybe he was the head of a, of a system. He was like kind of the, the next level up and, and a whole, uh, uh, he had a, he had a whole group of tax collectors who were, who were under his authority and, and giving him money, um, a, a slice of their, their pie. So he was a ruler among tax collectors. So if you don't like tax collectors, you really don't like Zacchaeus. And then on top of that, Luke tells us uh, that he is rich. 
And for us, we may not think rich is anything bad, right? Uh, you know, I'm not rich myself, but I, I wouldn't mind being rich. There's nothing intrinsically wrong about being rich. You know, um, uh, maybe we've got ambitions. We're going to go into the tech sector and we're going to start a dot com and we're going to get rich. Maybe we're hoping, you know, that, you know, if we study hard and stay in school, we'll get rich. Uh, rich is not a bad thing for us. But for Luke, it's a, it's a bad thing. If we had heard this whole, um, this whole, uh, uh, biography from the beginning, uh, we would have heard over and over again how much Luke doesn't like the rich. He's already, he's already talked just in the last chapter, he talked about the rich young, uh, ruler, somebody who turned down the opportunity to follow Jesus because he'd rather sit at home and count his money or something like that. We've heard about the rich fool. We've heard about the rich man and Lazarus. And and the rich man and Lazarus is a story about how the Lazarus, they, they both die. Lazarus dies and he goes to heaven. And the rich man dies and he goes to Hades. So Luke does not like rich people. And in fact, at the end of the biography, he's going to talk about a, a man named Joseph of Arimathea. And uh, he, he provides a tomb. When Jesus is crucified, uh, they, they put him in a tomb. And the one who, who contributes a tomb to this, this is a man named uh, Joseph of Arimathea. And Matthew, in his biography, says that Joseph was rich. But Luke cannot bring himself to say anything good about rich people. So he simply says Joseph of Arimathea was righteous. So Luke does not like rich people. And um, he tells us that... Um, that this man there named Zacchaeus was a tax collector, that's strike one, a ruler among tax collectors, strike two, and rich, strike three, Zacchaeus, you are out. And Zacchaeus is one of the people who's curious about Jesus. So he wants to see who Jesus is too, but he can't. Why is that? It says he was trying to see who Jesus was, but being a short man, he couldn't because of the crowd. That doesn't mean he couldn't see over the crowd. It means he couldn't see over the crowd and the crowd was keeping him out. You know, a lot of elbows being thrown that day. They're saying, go away. I'm not going to let you in because I detest people like you. So um, so he can't satisfy his curiosity. He won't be able to find out who Jesus is because no one will let him close enough to actually get a peek. So what does he do? Well, he probably wouldn't be in his position if he took no for an answer very easily. He's filled with entrepreneurial drive and inventiveness. So what he does is he looks around, he figures out, okay, Jesus is going this way. And he says, I'm just going to run down there to, to beyond the crowd. I'm going to, uh, and I'll climb up a tree and I will look at him from up in the tree. No one can block my view there. So that's what he does. He runs down the street and climbs up a tree. And um, it's interesting, this is one of the little signs that we can see that, that the New Testament is filled with these eyewitness accounts because, because a lot of the trees in, in that region didn't, I mean, a lot of the trees, a lot of the towns in that region didn't have uh, trees. They were, they were built in a very small plan and the, the, the streets were very narrow, just big enough to walk through, and uh, the, the buildings are all close together. But Jericho was one of the few towns that actually was laid out uh, widely enough that trees could, could grow inside the town. So um, he runs down to one of those uh, trees and climbs up. And he's waiting for Jesus, who's going to pass that way. Now, what do you suppose happens next? And again, we have to imagine, we haven't heard this story. All we know is that Zacchaeus is a bad person. Zacchaeus is a tax collector. I've heard, I've heard, uh, people say that for us to understand who a tax collector is, 
we'd have to imagine, uh, you know, in our in our society today, it would be it would be somebody who uh, uh, sells drugs to to uh, middle schoolers. So that would be the example of, of somebody that that we just naturally are re, re, uh, experience revulsion toward, um, or maybe a human trafficker. Uh, you know, terrible people. We would we would think that that I don't want any any part of this. And and this guy is worse than most. So we can imagine, you know, not just a uh, somebody who sells drugs, but somebody who's in who's a drug kingpin, somebody who's in charge of a cartel. Maybe we might imagine instead of instead of uh, uh, one thing, we might imagine he's a Hollywood producer who's been exploiting actresses for for decades. What, you know, what would you do? If you're walking down the street, you know that this guy wants to get a look at you, and he's up in a tree. What would you do? I think uh, I and I think most people would say, you know, he wants to look at me, but I don't want to look at him. I don't want any part of him. I don't want to be near him. I certainly don't want anyone to to get a photograph of me next to him. So we might say, look, I'm going to ghost him. I'm going to scan that tree and not see anything there. This guy is going to be invisible to me. And I think a lot of us would do that. But Jesus doesn't. Instead, we read that when Jesus came to that spot, he looked up and he said, Zacchaeus, come down at once. He says, Zacchaeus, I want to talk to you. That's, you know, people will see, this whole crowd will see me talking to you. Not only that, I want to have dinner with you. And in fact, he says, I want to have dinner at your home. And I want to stay over the night afterwards. He says, Zacchaeus, come home, come down at once. I must stay in your home today. So Zacchaeus came down at once, happy to welcome Jesus. And the crowd goes wild. But they aren't cheering. The crowd is not delighted by this. Um, the crowd is very disturbed by this because, because Jesus has done something that, that we see him do um, uh, repeatedly all through the New Testament. But up until now, the people who've complained have been religious experts, people who are part of the elite religious culture. And so, so they say that Jesus has gone to, to have dinner with a, with a sinner. That's one thing. Uh, you know, the, the Pharisees could say that. They, they, they do say that. The scribes say that. But this is the first time we read that everybody says it. Everybody in this crowd is, is, Disgusted that Jesus would would have companionship of any kind would be seen with this terrible, terrible person, Zacchaeus. So everyone who saw this grumbled, said he's gone to be the guest of a sinner. And this is something that Jesus does all through the New Testament. It's something that was extraordinarily easy for him, and it is extraordinarily difficult for us. Jesus associated with people that it did his reputation no good at all to associate with. This is something we see over and over again. Jesus did this all the time. And it makes us uneasy when he does it. And, and, and psychologists tell us the reason this is hard, the reason it makes us uneasy to see Jesus do this, is because uh, humans evolved in small groups, that, that we, we evolved over, over centuries and thousands and thousands of years 
as hunter-gatherers, and we lived in small communities, maybe 50 or, or maybe 150 people, but, but small enough that you could know every single person in the group. And you never saw anybody who wasn't part of that group. So you knew them all. You knew their stories. You knew who was who had high status and who had low status. You knew who it would do you good to be seen with, and you knew who it would do you bad to it would do you poorly to be seen with. You knew all the relationships uh, among the community. And so, so psychologists use terms to describe the way we behave. We, we talk about they tell us about things like reputation management or about social capital or or we we have phenomena like like guilt by association if you want to know what guilt by association is look at some of the mail that's coming to you uh, as part of this election campaign because you'll always see this candidate is being seen with other people and those other people may or may not have ever been with that candidate you know they may have never been in the same room but uh but the but the the mail will suggest that if you vote for this person, you might as well be voting for that person. And that's something that is a very, it exerts a very powerful hold on us because of, because of the way we do reputation management. We don't want to be seen supporting that person. So we try to distance ourselves from them. And this is something we, we do very naturally. You might have seen um, in the news this week, uh, there was a, an email that was sent to a lot of people who were who were, uh, they were, well, I don't know what they were going to do, but the email said what they were going to do is vote against Donald Trump. And the emails said that, that we're watching you and we're going to know if you do that. And, uh, that there was an investigation that this, that, that is a crime. And uh, there was an investigation and apparently as of, uh, yesterday what I heard is that those emails were traced to some kind of a disinformation operation being run out of Iran. So, so, um, I don't know exactly how, you know, what the impact of that will be, but obviously that's not a good thing, but we understand why it would work. People don't want to be seen doing something, uh, because there is such a thing as guilt by association. Um, uh, uh I, I saw this website, um, uh, DonaldTrump.watch. You can go to DonaldTrump.watch and you can plug in your street address. And what it will do is it will tell you which of your neighbors have contributed to the Donald Trump campaign. And you can actually see, oh, you know, the guy's three street, th- three, three houses down. They've given $75 to Donald Trump. You can actually do this. I plugged it in so I, I know how many people in the area of the church have supported this. And for all I know, there's one of these for for Joe Biden, I don't know, but, but we understand why people do this. It's because, it's because we are social creatures. We care about our reputations. We care about managing our reputations. We believe in social capital. And so, because we are such tribal characters, uh, tribal people, we care about the way people think about us. We care about uh, whether we have been shunned. We care about if people are ghosting us. Um, uh, this is what makes cancel culture so effective. It's why deplatforming works because we are all about social capital. We're all about our reputations. And Jesus teaches us in the face of all that, in the face of all the things that make us hard, uh, make it hard to do these things. He says, do it. Jesus says, be like me. You have social capital. Spend it. Squander it. Blow through it. Jesus says this is the way we should treat our social capital. We should be as comfortable crossing these social boundaries. We should be as comfortable associating with people that it does our reputation no good to associate with as he is. 
Jesus tells us that we should not hoard our social capital. We should not be seeking ways to increase it. And that is that is what we should do. If, if you're a Christian, this is what we're instructed to do. We should be like Jesus. We should squander our social capital. So how do we do that? Well, I don't know for you, but here's here's a quick test. What would you most like not to be seen doing? You know, who would you most like your friends not to see you with? That's probably who you should approach and say, stop in front of their tree and say, I must have have a dinner with you today. I must have a conversation with you. Imagine who is that person that, that you would be embarrassed if your friends saw you associating with? Who would you least like there to be a website that said, um, you know, LukeJones.watch or, or whatever, you know, whatever that website is for you, um, whatever your name is, and it had, people could plug it in and they could find out who you liked. Who, who are the people that you would be most embarrassed to be seen with? Because Jesus encourages us to cross those boundaries, to, to be seen with people that, that were uncomfortable being seen with. And that is something that if you're, if you're, um, if you're a Christian, this is something we're, we're called to do. And this is, this is the intersection with faith. That Jesus does this. Jesus squanders his, his social capital. But do you know anybody with more social capital than Jesus? If Jesus were, were, um, on social media, if there was actually a verified account that was run by Jesus, on social media, would there be anybody with more followers than Jesus? The Christian faith teaches that it is by giving away that we receive. So it is an act of faith to say, I'm going to try to be like Jesus with this. There's that squirrely guy at, at school and kind of weird, but I'm going to sit at his table and yes, people will see me do it. There's that, that guy at work and, you know, he's just, hard to work with and a lot of people have kind of checked out on him, I'm going to make a point of stopping in front of his tree saying, hi, let's let's talk. This is what we're called to do. These, these are ways we can be like Jesus. And if we're Christians, this is something we're called to do. If, if you're not a Christian, um, I invite you to consider it. But if you're a Christian, this is really uh, our vocation. So I want to I want to give a couple of cautions. If, if you if you're if you're going to try doing this, the the first caution is this: this is not about adopting people as projects. This is not about fixing people. It's not about converting them over to your way of seeing things. This is just about stopping in front of their tree. That that uh, you're not Jesus. It's not your job to change anybody. It's not your job to fix anybody. In fact, we see Jesus doesn't try to fix Zacchaeus. He simply says, Zacchaeus, come down at once. I must stay in your home today. And if you read the rest of the story, we see that Zacchaeus does change. But it's not because Jesus said, if you change, then I'll continue to be your friend. Jesus just stopped in front of his tree. So don't adopt somebody as a project. Simply stop in front of their tree the way Jesus did. Now, if you're not a Christian, if you're not a Christ follower... I want to. I want to suggest you might consider whether this is something you should do too. Um, should you 
be like this? And, and if so, why? What in your worldview tells you that you should be the same way? Why, why would you want to uh, 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 cross those social boundaries? Why would you want to expend your social capital? And, and I want to suggest one other thing. If you've ever wondered, would Jesus stop in front of my tree? You know, I have questions, you know, that, that I'm, I'm curious about Jesus. There's things I've wondered about Jesus. And, and if you tried to get a look at Jesus and you've asked yourself, would Jesus stop at your tree? The answer, the answer is absolutely. Jesus would stop at your tree and he would say, I must stay in your home tonight. Jesus wants to be in a relationship with you. And maybe that's not something that his church has communicated to you. Maybe, maybe his church has communicated that Jesus does not want to be around people like you, people with your sexuality or the way you relate to substances or with your baggage or with your marital history. That maybe the church has not communicated that to you. Maybe you've been to churches and people have made it very clear, um, that, that they don't want to be around you. But that's not Jesus. Jesus could not be more clear. He would like to be in a relationship with you. He would absolutely stop in your tree. And if his church has not communicated that, if Christians have not communicated that, that is not your problem. That is their problem. That is on them. Jesus is crystal clear. Jesus crossed boundaries. Jesus associated with people that it did his no, his reputation no good at all to be seen with. And Jesus invites us to be like him, to, to stop in front of the tree of an outcast. Think about how you might do that this week. Let's pray. Father in heaven, it is hard. It is hard to, to give up social capital, to, to give it away on people who don't deserve it. But we know if we're honest, that Jesus has stopped in front of our tree, that Jesus want, wanted to be in a relationship with us well in a, uh, so much that he was willing not just to, to stop in front of our tree, but to come from heaven to earth to, to build that relationship with us. So Lord, help us to be like him. At least help us to, to uh, friend someone on Facebook or to stop off in the cube or or sit down at the lunch table whatever that looks like lord help us to be like jesus to cross those boundaries help us to stop in front of the tree of an outcast we pray it in his name amen